You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. Now, Outdoor Edge has a large range of fixed and replaceable blade knives and game cleaning kits. Now, imagine this. You just shot a deer in the backcountry or an elk or whatever, and it's time to break it down right? It's hot. You're a long way from the truck. So time is a factor and you got to get the meat back to the truck. So there's no waste. Your blade becomes dull. So instead of having to stop and sharpen the blade, all you do is you take your outdoor edge knife, you push a button on the handle, the blade pops out, you put a new blade back in and you're back to work. You get back to the truck, there's no wasted meat, everybody wins. Now, if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their complete line of knives and game cleaning kits, all you have to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com and when you check out or you decide you want to purchase a knife, enter the discount code NATION30 and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. That's NATION30 and that's OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And if you're like me, I am a self-proclaimed deer nut, right? I love hunting whitetails. I love scouting for whitetails. I, I love checking my trail cameras. I checked my trail cameras for the first time this past weekend and have one hell of a buck on camera. And I'm excited to chase him this fall if he sticks around. And I felt like I wanted to talk about bucks, their summer patterns, and instead of doing a completely new episode, I wanted to pull one out of the archives for you guys, and I think there's a lot of really good information in this episode about summer patterns, how how and where a buck lives, close to water, where he's bedding, and if that then translates into the fall. And what I mean by that is if the summer trail camera pictures that you get even matter 
at this point? Or is it something where I am used to? There's a huge shift come September and the deer kind of disperse and they go different ways and then they may come back to the farm that I'm on during the during the rut. So it's a really cool conversation I have with Noel Gandy and uh, he's really good at what he does. He's an avid hunter as well. He hunts this Iowa farm ground like we all do and uh, I just wanted to uh, re-release this episode because there is a ton of great information in it. Now before we get into the episode we got to do a new commercial with a new sponsor of the podcast, and that is Quiet Cat. Now, if you guys have never heard of a Quiet Cat before, it is a bicycle with an electric motor on it. And what's awesome about this is, is it is a, a device that gets you from point A, let's say your truck, to point B, let's say your tree stand or close to your tree stand without making any noise, right? There's, It's an electric motor, so it's very quiet. Uh, it allows you to pack on your gear, carry your bow, carry your rifle, enter the property without any noise. And that's awesome because I found that in some of the properties that I hunt, my truck disrupts the, the normal flow of deer, especially in the morning, in a morning hunt. And when I... Uh, go in and I walk a little bit further or, or I take a more silent approach to my tree stand, I see more deer moving back and forth in, in through the farm. So the cool thing about these quiet cat bikes is that anybody can use them, right? So let's just say you're, you're getting old and you hate walking and you still, you don't want to take a truck all the way to your stand. An electric bike like this is absolutely perfect for you. Um, I've got the opportunity to play around on them uh, a couple times. Not only that, but they're fun, right? If uh, you want to go on mountain bike rides or you want to go around town and not put in as much effort as you normally would or even get you deeper into the backcountry in some instances a quiet cat is an absolutely awesome product so if you want to find out more information visit their website quietcat.com and that is q-u-i-e-t-k-a-t.com all right, let's get back into this previous conversation that I had with Noel Gandy about summer bucks, their patterns, and we kick it off when I ask him a question about trail cameras. Oh, trail cameras. Dan, when trail cameras kind of came on my radar, gosh, I guess it's been, it might have even been 15 years ago now. I, we were taking the film to Walmart, you know, to see what was, <laughs> to see what was on them. Yeah. And, uh, and then Walmart hated us because we would keep two pictures and they would let you throw the other 30 away or however many, if you didn't want them, you didn't have to buy them. Yep. But now that digital and, and even cellular trail cameras are such a, such a thing now, it is just amped up excitement to a whole, to a whole new level. Uh, granted this time of year, you have to really guard yourself against, being too excited, you know, when you see a bachelor group that has three shooter bucks in it, you have to kind of pump your brakes a little bit and realize that come October, they're probably not going to be buddies anymore. When that velvet comes off, they're probably not going to be friends anymore. So it's a good way to, to really, I don't know, it's, it's a good way to reignite excitement from a long 
hot summer, you know, wet summer. You've not been able to do a whole lot deer-wise, most likely. So it's good for me. It kind of – I even put in the article recently, I think in the August issue, that July 4th is kind of my, my kickoff every year. I look forward to July 4th because that means – I am starting that year's deer season yes. and, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better way to put it, some folks are, they never end and, uh, we really don't, but anywho, I'm fired up, man. Yeah. yeah it, trail cameras fired me up. Yeah. That's, and that's one thing I've had to teach myself how to just, because if I could, I'd be, I'd be fired up all year around, but you know, I got three kids I got a wife, right. I got, you know, I can't spend all day, every day thinking about, I mean, I think about it, but not doing deer hunting related activities, right? It's just impossible. So, you know, when I do get the opportunity to check a trail camera or two, man, for some reason, checking a trail camera this time of year, it, I would almost compare it to the excitement I get going in to actually hunt a really good spot for the first time, right? There's something about not knowing what's on trail camera that excites me. Oh, man. I got a new farm this year that I've been begging the farmer. This will be my fourth season to hunt Iowa. And this is my fourth season to basically go on bended knee with a tear in my eye, begging him to let me hunt this place. And uh, he finally said, dude, go for it. If you're going to do all that, just go for it. And so I've been so anxious to get in there. Just the unknown is incredible. This, just not knowing what, what could be. Right. And so that's, yeah, that man, that excitement level is, is through the roof. I, I always said, Dan, that I think, uh, I think that the good Lord allow deer's antler, uh, deer antlers to shed every year. So that maybe I would quit obsessing for a couple of months anyway, that I could actually <laughs> re-meet, re-meet my kids and my wife and uh, like actually work a little bit <laughs> because I don't worry quite as much about it when they don't have antlers, which granted we shed hunt and then we right, right. do food plots and everything else. So I don't know if it helps. It helps a little, maybe not much, but a little. Right. So let me ask you this. Uh, it's, I mean, it's summertime. What I know this is a really high level question, but the article that you wrote is about summer patterning, tips and tricks. What kind of work are you doing this time of year to get prepared for the upcoming season, whether that's you know putting tree stands up, scouting? And the reason I asked that first is because you just got access to a new farm. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what your plant, your strategy, your preseason strategy is for that particular farm. Great. So uh, let me, let me just speak to patterning just very briefly before I jump into the, to my strategy and which it hopefully, you know, we'll see this year if it works or not. But, uh, and I think I, I think I made a caveat in that article that kind of stated I don't know how much you can really pattern a deer to hunt during this time unless you plan on killing him the first week of October. Yeah. And that's still iffy. That's, to me, that's still weather dependent, uh, if you can even do that, because these, these deer do bust up so much 
uh, as not bust up like antlers, but they, their bachelor groups break up. They're, when those beans change colors, you know, it's, it's really weather dependent. When the beans change colors, they start dispersing to different food sources. And so at this point, as far as scouting wise, I'm getting an inventory maybe of what is in the, just the area. Um, so for like a gun hunter, patterning is useless right now because it's going to all change for archery hunters. Do you really plan on digging in there pretty early or, or maybe even for youth? Like my son killed his first deer last year and uh, he was, I knew exactly which step he was going to take every evening. I mean, he was a young buck, but he was still highly predictable. So it worked out perfectly for a, for a youth. But so patterning, we, we need to be careful talking about that. But as far as scouting and getting prepared, yeah, so I got this brand new farm uh, at the end of June, and I had two sets hung by mid-July, where I feel like looking at aerial stuff, and, and I live nearby it, so I, I kind of have an idea where deer like to go in and out because, you know, I'm stalking it for four years. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I've, been, I've been creeping that place for a while, but I just couldn't go into it. So uh, I had kind of a general idea, and there are some really, really natural kind of uh, openings in the timber that seem like that might be where deer want to go. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, deer poop. Uh, I hate to, you know, be so blunt, but it, there is. There's, there's lots of beds, lots of, uh, of scat in that area. And uh, so I feel like, you know, that's where the deer are bedding and uh, try to back away from there. Also, on this new farm, I found two uh, deer stands hung in there. And they looked like they were old. They looked like a couple of them had different color ratchet straps that looked like they were different ages, maybe some from just years ago. And so that kind of tells me somebody's been hunting there and if they, you know, had it in there for over a year or over one year, they probably had some success, possibly. So I can kind of key in on that area as well. Lastly, just uh, right now in Iowa, you can feed and use supplement. Uh, you certainly cannot whenever the season opens up. But uh, So we've put some feed kind of on the outer edges of the farm because I don't really want to penetrate the interior anymore now that we're getting a little closer to season uh, and we're trying to just kind of see what's there. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot, uh, right now, uh, a couple of young bucks. Uh, but anyway, that's right. long range scouting has, has been beneficial. We're seeing where they're coming out every evening. So like my son, he, he's fired up. He's like, yeah, we're going to put the ground blind right there. And that's going to be <laughs> 50 yards. We're going to put one of these does or, one of these young bucks coming out, but uh, I don't know, man. You just kind of every place is unique, and access is unique, so you have to kind of guard all of it, really. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, when when you talk about going into a piece of property and maybe poking your head around a little bit, you you said you found some scat. Is there any in some beds? Is there anything else that you're looking for to confirm whether or not you found a good location? And then, with that being said, when do you back out and say, you know what, I'm not going in here anymore? Yeah, those things are, are great. To me, well worn deer trails, especially as the summer, as the grasses get taller 
uh, I mean, that's, that's key. You know, deer are using that area pretty well. Water is a big thing. Uh, granted, all the property I hunt, it's been challenging because it all has streams or creeks running through it. So uh, I actually, most of my property scout during turkey season because you can still get around a little bit, but you can kind of see trail crossings and things, things like that. Uh, old rubs, and sometimes you can find old scrapes. And I'll kind of hone in on those places. In my experience, deer traditionally use the same general areas, if not the exact same. I've had a scrape open up for three years now, the exact same one. Um, So if you can find some of that, it's tougher right now. Because grass has gotten tall, especially even in the timber, it's it's tall. but if you can find stuff like that, man, that's a great place to start out for sure. Drop right. those cameras in. You can get a, you can get a camera for thirty bucks now. You know they're a little more easily accessible. But drop it in and and just kind of see what's there. It's my best advice. Yeah, yeah. So, how much weight do you give a trail a summer trail camera picture for the upcoming year? I look at them two different ways. I'll just, I'll try to go with a, for instance, last year during August, the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life turned up on my trail camera, two different nights. They were two nights in a row, but I mean, just a giant 180, 190. I'm from Mississippi. So anything over 150 is huge, but this thing was, he was showing up huge. Yeah. Of course with the velvet, they look, even more impressive twice as big yeah right so i i had a stand nearby i thought this this is something else i never saw the deer never got another picture of him uh he is just a ghost as far as i'm concerned i think you and i might have even talked about that yeah at some point in time he was just a ghost and i spent some time (laughs) i won't say how much but hunting that deer because that's a, I mean, that's a TV deer, I call it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that was foolish. You know, he just showed up twice and sure, he might have used that property again some uh, during the year. Who's to say he didn't? I mean, he, he's so big, he could have lived there the whole time and just never, never gotten up. But I don't know that. All right. That's, that's one, for instance. I think that was foolish to put too much weight in a camera. Okay. An instance where I think that it's fruitful, I can also look to last year. I had a huge eight point. He's 150 plus inches. And so for an eight point, that's, that's a really big deer. He was on my trail camera all summer. I laid eyes on him twice because I was trying to kill him. Uh, could never get it done, but I laid eyes on him twice during November. So to me, that tells me he, he's a homebody. He lives pretty close. Another deer that I actually did get a crack at and uh, and actually zipped an arrow right over his back. Uh, not once, but twice, by the way, but we'll leave that for <laughs> another day. Uh, he, he was dumb enough to stand there, and I was dumb enough to shoot at him again. So. Right. <laughs> Anywho, I had pictures of him all summer, and uh, my brother and I were looking at him just together and, said you know what he'd be hard to pass he probably needs a year 
that he'd be hard to pass if he's skating 25 yards broadside. Right. And I'll be darned. He, he rolled up in there 25 yards broadside. And uh, I think the Lord let me pass him because yesterday I go and pull the camera and he is blown into a giant. He's oh, put, he put on 30 to 40 inches. Holy cow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he is uh, like no doubter now. He, right. he was he was 140 inch, 45 inch deer last year. He's he's gonna be touching boom this year. Yeah. And so he was a homebody that, you know, I, I laid eyes on him. I saw, uh, you know, lots of trail camera pictures of him, well documented. So I put more stake to to get back to the question. I put more stake in those deer, or those trail camera pictures this year, because I have history of of seeing these deer and knowing that they stick around on the farm i put more stake in those than i did from this ghost deer yeah because he he might show up he also might not and so i think it's a case by case especially if you have history with a farm or with a place you can gauge that a little more um now granted you're not going to know every single deer these two were just very very distinguishable and uh I spent a lot of time looking at their pictures <laughs> last year and in yeah. my dreams, right? So uh, they, I, there's two different ways to look at that, I think. And uh, those are probably pretty good examples of the two ways to look at it. Right. So that's one thing that I really like about trail cameras because I obs- I, I'm the kind of guy who I put together a hit list every year, right? I, I want to oh, yeah. sh- shoot a mature buck and – whether I can identify that deer by an antler, you know, characteristics mm-hmm. of his antlers, or maybe he's got a torn ear or something like that. That's a perfect example of this past year. I had a, I had a buck sneak up behind me. I gave it like, I'm not, I'm not joking. Maybe a millisecond look like, <laughs> I knew exactly who that buck was. I knew he was a shooter. So I didn't really need to look at him again. Uh, until I was drawn back and putting the needle on him. You know what I mean? So, so getting, getting an idea, uh, when you're putting together a hit list or trying to identify a mature deer, like look, antler characteristics are awesome. But as for me, I have a hard time putting a lot of weight into what a deer is doing during the summer months on, on the farms that I hunt. And I know it's different for every, every farm, but I get a lot of deer on the farm that I hunt during the summertime. But then mm-hmm. about mid-September, there's this gigantic shift that happens. The velvet comes off. They start yeah. they start to jockey for position. They go to new core areas or go back to their, their what I call hunting season core areas or their fall core areas. Some stick around, some don't. But what really so, – so it's hard for me to – say okay that's or get excited that if i get a giant buck or a big mature buck on trail camera he may not be around during the hunting season right so i I would say that up to 60 to 70 percent of the bucks that i have on trail camera during the summer months shift there's there's a big shift in september where they kind of disappear and if there's any that still stick around there's another shift that happens when the crops come out so it's hard for me and this is just from experience to get really fired up about a, uh, a trail camera picture knowing that, you know, he, this buck made it, uh, may disappear. Now, if I have 
trail camera pictures from him during the season throughout the year, or the mm-hmm. previous year, that's when I get fired up because now I know yeah. I've identified him and now I know that, hey, check this out. He's going to be back. He's going to be back at some point. Now I just got to, you know, put the dots, you know, connect the dots and try to intercept his, his movement. Right. My, I have a friend, we, we spent some time together this weekend. He has that exact thing happen every year. He, he hunts what we call a, uh, the timber that he has. So we're in Southwest Iowa where there's not just huge blocks of timber. There is some, but yeah. not a lot, but lots of the timber follows like creek drainages or things like that. It's just mostly agriculture. And he hunts what we would call a, a runway. Uh, he's got decent timber. It's all along the creek, but that's kind of it. You don't really look to it as like bedding or anything else. Right now, he's getting lots of, lots of pictures because deer are living in corn and they're living in beans. However, he feels like whenever all that comes out, same as you, Dan, the, the deer, they move off. Yeah. And to me, you're just looking for, for the thick nasty stuff at that point what what is nearby that where they could actually be like living and then during the rut they're just going to branch off so during the rut at that point you're i think you're just looking for mature deer if you don't have one you know living on the place right you're kind of taking you know whatever mature deer for for me somebody some folks might not care if it's mature or not that's perfectly okay i want to be sure i say that yeah i'm not a i'm not a snob yeah uh for for me, I'm trying to kill a mature four and a half year old plus uh, buck if possible. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's tough when you do live on one of those runway farms that we call it that that they run through during the rut chasing chasing those you may or may not see them. So it 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 makes it a little more difficult for sure. The good news though is that you know something totally unexpected could show up. We do live in Iowa. That's right. And uh, the, the next world record could come trickling down through there. I think in any part of the state. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe with some exception, but not much. So that's there still should always be that hinge of excitement. You know, the the right hot doe gets in there, you could have every deer in, within three miles. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. There's that, different ways to look at it. That's a fact, man. Um, now, a lot of this article you wrote was about getting out the glass and doing some long, long distance glassing. Why don't you walk us through what, you know, what that's all about and why you think that's important. There are, yeah, there are folks that are much more adequate than, than I, it all depends on your, on, on your ground that you can hunt. Public ground certainly offers a lot of opportunities as well. Finding a vantage point where you can see a long way, clearly you are looking for beans right now. Uh, I would think this would be obvious, but there's no point in glass and corn currently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's 10 feet tall. So we're looking at where like timber meets beans or where corn meets beans, where deer possibly could be laying up during the day, but they're coming out in the evening to to feed. Uh, you're, you might not see every single deer, but good chances are if you can find a field where a couple of deer are hitting it, then I would stick with it. Uh, the problem is with that is say you have a great field of beans on your property. Well, man, no deer are coming out in it every evening. You know, they're not using that field to eat. That's where it becomes difficult. Uh, 
so it's it's kind of a if you got them you got them if you don't you don't kind of a scenario and uh it you know television shows make it look real cool where they they're they're looking through uh their their vortex spotting scope at and you know there's 15 20 deer out in the field and four of them are rack bucks that looks really great but if you don't have if the deer aren't using your farm then that's difficult to do just to answer your question though i do happen to have two places where we have a vantage point and so we will uh and i say we it's usually my family and i we'll try to get just kind of as, as high as we can and and literally just that just kind of plop down and be sure that nothing can see us nothing can smell us Dan, that is i cannot uh, emphasize that enough and unless you are like lee and tiffany lakoski who can go into their farm every day and like lay thin every day no i'm serious that they, they, they are kind of the polar opposite their scent control is a little different than everyone well they condition yeah, they their condition deer, deer to human yeah interaction right i don't i don't own my farms i i'm uh i'm borrowing them from some generous farmers yep and so i can't do that i can't run all over them so we have to we have to be high hyper aware of scent yeah. because i don't want them to know what that is so still play that uh, I can only glass one farm with a north wind, and we don't get many of those during the summer. Yep. So uh, p- picking those times, if you do have a little cooler evening, those are better times to kind of hit those high points and, and to look out. Maybe the deer come out a little bit earlier. So, boy, there's just lots of different little intricacies, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have a farm that has deer coming out on it, like, like right now, um, where, where this giant that I that I'm excited about hunting, where he's at, uh, where it was beans last year, and I could watch him every evening. It's corn this year, and and I I don't know where he's at. I don't yeah. know where he's living. Clearly, he's still close, but maybe he's at a bean field just off to the neighbors and using that. Um, so like yesterday evening, I kind of creeped around just the just the public roads, and. Uh, tried to just get an eye on him i certainly didn't want to stop my pickup in the middle of the road and spook him uh i didn't see him but if had i seen him i would have just done enough just to glass him just to see that he was there yep um and and that would have been it you just there's no sense in blowing a deer or spooking him in august just to just to put binoculars on him i'd much rather be holding him in october than looking at him in august it's kind of my take on that right right so you know obviously we we get into trying to glass them up you know mm-hmm. now when you let's say you see them just like a trail camera picture let's say you see them in a bean field or you don't see them right obviously we know that iowa is a very big agriculture state and there's food yep. this time of year all over the place for them right so you know, I think we can agree that we're not going to be too worried if he doesn't show up in a specific bean field this time, you know, this time of year. Now, when you do glass them up and let's say tonight you go out and there's a bean field that's on the property that you hunt, how much weight are you giving that interaction or that piece of data come the fall? About the same amount as I do my trail cameras. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that might not be the answer you were looking for, but I, I don't know, man. I, I know that he's in the area, 
and I know that 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 likely he's a homer if I see the same deer, like this, uh, like the eight point, the giant eight point. I, I nicknamed him Plop because he was a walker, right? Right. And so I saw him. Gosh, I bet I saw him fifteen different evenings last year, and then I saw him during the during the season. Uh, if I'm seeing him 15, 16, 17 times, I know he's probably living pretty close by. Right. If I see him once every now and, you know, if I'd have just seen him once or, uh, and, and never seen him again, it would be harder for me to get really excited about him living really close by. Granted, I, this is all opinion. There, there is nothing scientific behind what I'm saying other than just observation from, from what I've had over the years. Right. So, uh, there are to me dan there are deer and then there are killable deer that's a fact and and i i have to try to pump my brakes on some of you know some of the ghosts and i have to look more for a killable deer uh for me personally right uh, i've wasted a bunch of time <laughs> a bunch of time on a on a deer that wasn't killable because he's nocturnal or because he's or because he's not there yeah so. Yeah, man, I've done the same thing. Uh, you put a lot of time, and that's where, even to take it a step further, man, if I get a big buck, even during the season, a nocturnal pick, let's say it's like midnight, one in the morning, yep. it's hard for me to get excited about that picture. Okay, I know he's alive, I know he's in the area, and it might it might alter to where I go and hunt, but I have to remember, I can't hunt during the daylight. Or I can only hunt during the daylight. So it's like getting a, a trail camera picture of a big buck that's in the middle of the night is still very low on the uh, information scale, if that makes sense. Yeah. To me, if there's a deer showing up at, at midnight, one night, I might not put so much stock in him, but if he's, if he's showing up three, four times a week at midnight or, or even a couple of times a week, then at least I know that he is some point in the area and right. I can maybe look at the direction that he's, that he's walking from or, or heading to and maybe think, try to put a plan together. I can get my aerial map out and I can say, Oh, well he's, he, he might be coming from this area heading to this area. And so based on that, I can figure out I might can kill him in the evening because he's, he's leaving this bedding area and then walking through this timber to get to this feed or, or I might can kill him early in the morning as he's walking back to bed, you know, because I know he's at least in the area. Right. Uh, but if it's just, if he's just showing up once, once or twice, man, that's enough to get you excited. But, but dang, man, it's hard to, it's hard to put a bunch of stock in that over a deer that might be, 10 inches smaller, but he's showing up every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always have that, that internal conversation because both me and you have some deer on camera this year that are going to be pretty big and we're going to put a lot of time into hunting them. And from past years experience, the deer does not show up on the farm that I hunt a lot, right? He, he yeah. comes in at random times, almost like he, uh, we are, we're in his core area, but on the way outside of it, right? So, right. so if I get another deer that is maybe not as big or not as mature or not as, I guess, coveted as what this buck is, do what do I do? Do I do I just 
put all my eggs in one basket and go for the big boy and, you know, be willing to eat my tag? Or do I, you know, all of a sudden say, ah, okay, I got to be realistic here. This buck's, <laughs> this buck's killable. And, uh, I think I'm going to go try for that buck. You know what I mean? I think that comes down to experience and preference. Yeah. I, for me, boy, I'm probably shooting. Yeah. <laughs> if he makes my, I, and even in that article, I used a line that my, uh, that my dad has said forever, which my dad is a notorious, uh, young buck killer. So I have to be careful with what he, what advice he gives me. But, <laughs> He says, man, if it makes your heart go pitter-patter, oh, yeah. he said, pull the trigger. That's you know, right. If it fires you up, uh, shoot that deer and don't make an excuse for it. Man, be excited because when, when it boils down to it, I started deer hunting when I was six. And I killed a spike buck back in Mississippi. And, and I took pictures and I showed everybody and was yeah. so excited. When it boils down to it, just enjoy deer hunting, man. This is something that is unique. We live in a in a killer state for it, and uh, I don't know. I think it. So that that's kind of like my take. Right. Some some have killed enough deer that they say, you know what? I'm happy letting a uh, uh, 150 inch four year old go. Yeah. Uh, because because you know there's a potential to kill a 180 inch six year old, and so I, I would love the 180 six-year-old but at the same time i'm going to be thrilled that i got a buck this year so i think it's just where are you in your deer hunting walk where are you in your journey yep. and uh see what makes you happy that's well, a if fact. it's legal and it makes you happy then go for it that's a fact that's a fact now in this article you mentioned a specific date october 11th what does what's yes. uh, what's the significance with october 11th that might even, so for me last year, I shot this deer. His name is, I called him Professor because I gave him an education that day. <laughs> All right. So he, uh, it's, it's the deer that blew into this giant. Uh, he and I think every other deer on the property came out on October the 11th, uh, just like they had been coming out on September the 20th. For some reason, uh, oh, I know exactly when it was. We'd had a little rain shower, and the temperature dropped like 15, 20 degrees that evening. So it got them on their feet. I, after that, after that encounter, it warmed up, and I didn't see any more groups of deer. The, the bucks were still they were they were not super feisty, but they were they were still kind of together. But you could tell they were starting to bust apart. I just I had a chance to observe those deer. Uh, after that date, I didn't see any more groups of deer in fields last year. Two years before that, the date was like October 7th, was the last date I started seeing any groups in fields. So I think that the October 11th might have even been uh, kind of a unique circumstance because of the weather. But really that first week of October, if you're going to kill a summer pattern deer, it's just about going to have to be then, and that might even still be a stretch. Uh so that Dan, that's just a personal, right? Personal thing. Uh, I shift gears with how I'm hunting after those first ten days or so. Uh, granted, if you get that twenty degree drop in weather during the middle of October, I think your tail needs to be sitting in a deer stand somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the October lull is a myth to me at that point. If you can get that great, maybe drop in weather, high pressure, bluebird 
afternoon, I think that's a great time to be in a deer stand, honestly. But past three years, I've shot two deer before October 11th, and they were doing the exact same thing. They were still in big groups with other bucks yeah. uh, at that point. Yeah, gotcha. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add about, you know, how summer summer patterning may affect the fall hunt or ways to maybe locate uh, a deer during the summer to hunt during the fall? Uh, I will mention uh, one thing, and then I have a question for you, but I'll say that. One one thing is uh, is water source, too. If you have a water source, uh, just kind of referring back to trail cameras and, and even observation, if you can see it from a distance, uh, those are good good places to kind of key in on because if you're thirsty, they're thirsty. I think is a is a good way to uh, to, to kind of look at that. In the way of hanging stands and uh, trimming shooting lanes or things like that, if you have if you have a good idea, uh, you, you're a little more running gun, right? I'm a little more uh, stay in place. I think is kind of yeah. a way to, uh, to to reference that. Uh, I film with a camera, and a lot of times I'll have somebody with me just because we like to document it. So, man, to set two, to set one set is difficult enough. To throw two stands up in a tree and to make it cover and all that, you know, that's even more difficult. So, I would rather go ahead and do that now than I had October. Right. Even though I don't really want to get the timber right now, probably better to go ahead and do it now than than wait. Right. So uh, that that would be one thing. Water, like I said, kind of finding that for these early season hunts. That's something to keep in mind. But you, you kind of made a comment, and uh, you said, you know, what's something that you can be aware of now that might impact you come to fall? You tell me this. You said you like to even name deer or make a hit list. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm the same way. I So when I hunted Mississippi for years and years, every deer where I, on my farm was an eight point. So it's hard to distinguish what's what. Here, right. the deer has so much personal characteristic they're pretty easily identifiable usually right usually uh i have these deer names they're like my babies at this point i want to see them i want to document them i i I want to kill them and and give them honor but at the same time three different occasions in the past few years the deer that i have on my hit list that i've been you know filming and dreaming about has shown up while i'm hunting Yes. In two years, two of those years, I've had a crack at them. And I will say this. If you do that, figure out some kind of way. I don't know if you can go on YouTube and get like some some soothsaying uh, words to calm yourself down. But it's like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. It's yeah. happening. And I start, I freak out. Yeah. I have a pretty high-strung personality. But when I see, you know, when I saw a professor coming down the edge of these beans, I was thinking, I wasn't thinking, all right, get ready. He's coming, you know, breathe. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that's Professor. I know him. They're, my family knows this deer. We're going to kill this deer. Right. And then I missed it because I'm so high-strung. So uh, guard that thumb would be would be some advice from a high-strung individual. Oh, man. there's no. I, I think, actually, I'll be honest with you, I think knowing the deer, putting all the time and energy into identifying them, and maybe maybe even having an encounter where you pass them. Uh, I had an example of this a handful of years ago, and I pa- I I had this I had laser beam focus on one deer, and I finally got the opportunity at him. And I had so much buck fever, I hit him too high, and he never 
he never died. Uh, he ended up getting shot by the neighbor the following year. Uh, two hundred inch buck. I shot him. He's probably yeah. yeah. He's probably two two ten. And it's it's almost like if I didn't have any. So I have a couple of deer on the wall where I don't have any uh, history with them, and I I was able to shoot those fairly easy, right? Like eh, twelve ring them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm not going to say twelve ring them. I still got <laughs> I still got fired up. I still uh, put. Uh, but nothing like if I know I've been watching a buck for four years and four or five years and I finally get a crack at him and he's, you know, maybe a Boone and Crockett or whatever. And then you just kind of like, you just lose control. Right. I, I think, right. I think it exactly. probably hurt. It probably all the trail cameras and stuff probably hurts you in that aspect. A, a little bit. Now, granted one of the deer that I've had history with and, uh, and I, man, I hate that keep talking about this but I've, I've missed two really really big deer uh in three years but one of them you know i've been following and he was 185 plus inch deer yeah and so that's got something to do with it i watched that dude posture in from 300 yards i was just worked up in general on top of the fact that i knew him so yeah the trail cameras can can hurt you in that because you it's almost like you develop a relationship with them or you do with them they don't with you necessarily but uh you, you want to do good by it. You want to put a put a period on the story. Uh, there is no more sickening feeling, though, than to, uh, as I'm sure you can attest, to wound one or to just uh, to flat out miss and think, oh, man, what have I done? <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, man, uh, I really appreciate you taking time and chatting with us today. And let me be the, one of the first to say good luck this upcoming season. Oh, listen, the same. I can't wait to... Uh, to follow along i enjoyed following your story last year and uh, i feel like i was right there with you so yeah same same here and there you have it ladies and gentlemen huge shout out to noel for coming on or not really coming on again but man like i said in the intro tons of great information in this episode if you have to listen to it a, another time to get all of it i strongly recommend it but now is the time you need to start locating your deer with trail cameras if you have that ability whether you're you know, you're cable locking them to a tree on public land or you're setting them up higher in the tree or you are, you know, you're doing your scouting or your glass and field edges at night. Now is the time to start the process of locating your next target. And uh, man, I am so jacked for this upcoming season. I pulled my trail camera. Uh, like I said in the intro, man, I pulled my cards, got a big buck. And now I start the process of finding out where he's living and just, you know, each day and each scouting mission and each trail camera picture is one step closer to uh, having that encounter with him, drawing back and letting an arrow fly. So good luck to all of you this upcoming season. Hopefully uh, you got your trail cameras out. Stay cool and remember to check out quietcat.com and cat is spelled with a K, quietcat.com on their electric bikes and uh like i said they're a new partner of the podcast so go check them out thanks everybody for tuning in and we will talk to you next time 